So we, we, be, we began last week just, just looking at an idea of what is the church, why we do what we do, what is the, why are we sticking with a certain way of doing things and kind of giving a, a biblical framework for that and taking it in. So I want to continue with that. I, if you weren't here last week, try to listen to the talk on, on our podcast. Most of it was I was reading from a book. Um, but today I want to just give the, 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 the very basic framework of why I think church is the way we are doing it. It's not that anyone else is wrong, but why are we sticking to this plot? So if you have your Bibles, an iPhone, an iPad, a computer, whatever you want to open, open to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. And you know this text, it's the Great Commission, it's not a, it's not a some sort of revel, new revelation. But I think it helps us to see something, so here we go. Now, this is after the resurrection, um, Jesus has died on the cross, blood's been shed, buried, resurrected from the dead. He spends 40 days with the disciples, and we'll see what he does in a moment as we get to Acts. And then we have this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. Remember, Judas had hung himself to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Which is still one of those wonderful verses in the Bible. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to jump across and look at that in Luke. And then we'll jump to Acts and then we'll say a few things. So in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. This is all tied together. Uh, we'll read verses 3 to 8. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's really important that we understand that. He spoke about the kingdom of God. And if we go back and look at when Jesus appeared on the scene, um, introduced by John the Baptist, John the Baptist came preaching a message, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. That was the gospel. When John was put in prison, and, and that was Matthew 3, 9 to Matthew 4, and, and Jesus picks up that message and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's the, that was his gospel. And the whole of his life was living out what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. What does kingdom life look like? Through deliverance and healings and salvations and ministry and turning water into wine and all those things. It's all a demonstration of what it means to live under the authority of God in the kingdom of God. So when we come now into Acts and Jesus is about to um, ascend to heaven, 
He spent this 40 days and he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And if you go to the very last two verses of the book of Acts, as Luke ties it up, you find Paul in Rome in prison and he's teaching about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And I think it's important that we see that sometimes we can divorce church from the message of the kingdom of God, that Jesus came to establish a kingdom. George Eldon Ladd, he used to be a professor at Fuller many years, he's, he's long died, but he wrote a book called The, the Presence of of the future, that the kingdom has broken into today. And we live in this middle period between what is and what is going to be. And we see parts of that kingdom established now, but in one day, all of that will be renewed in its fullness and Jesus will come back and his kingdom will reign. All right, so he says, speaking about the kingdom of God and, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Remember, he's been talking about the kingdom. So they're still thinking he's going to restore a physical kingdom. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So just taking those three verses. Um, Jesus basically gave the disciples and through the disciples to his people to continue two major commands. We have, I think we, it's important that as the church we see those and say, how do we fit, it, fit into those? The number one was that they were to make disciples. It's a, it's a fundamental task of Jesus' church that we make disciples, that we live as disciples, we become disciples, and we make disciples. I mean, all of his ministry was showing them how to live as disciples to him. And then he said to them, you as disciples, go make disciples. If you go to, I think it's uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul saying to Timothy, the things you have heard me say, that trust to reliable people to be qualified to teach others. There's this ongoing thing of disciples making disciples who make disciples. That's a fundamental role, responsibility that we have as a church, as the people of God. And how do we go about it? One is that we have to go out, go. The Great Commission is go. Where? Into all the world. Now, in those days, we weren't, they weren't thinking about the United States. They weren't thinking about Australia because they didn't know they existed. They were thinking about their known world, all the people that are around there. And we see in, at Pentecost, all the many nations that come into that one city of Jerusalem and they all get ministered to in their own languages and all sorts of things happen. So when, when we are called to go to all the nations... It's actually the word is ethnos, it's ethnic groups. We have to go to all sorts of people. So many of them are, are here. This is the 227 nations represented in the Los Angeles metroplex, the five counties. We can go to the nations by just staying in our city, basically. But the command of Jesus is that we go. And interact with all sorts of people in our world. Sometimes it's here. Sometimes we go into the Philippines. Sometimes we go into Sri Lanka. 
and sometimes we're going to Haiti, and sometimes we, wherever. But the, the command is that we go, that we are a people on mission. And when you walk out your door, you're on mission. We think of missionaries as this something over there, but actually it's, it's the idea of going and make disciples wherever you are. And remember, just, let's just remind ourselves, we'll come back to this, that just, you don't get people saved and then you help them become disciples. Becoming a disciple is getting saved, becoming a follower of Jesus. That's what it is. So our role is to help people come to that place of following Jesus. And we, the word that we speak is a word of the kingdom. It's the, the word of the cross, as 1 Corinthians 1 tells us, which I preached on this morning. We speak the word of the cross, a simple word that we meant to declare and leave it at that in some ways. So we meant to go out to all sorts of people, wherever they are. And then as they, as they become followers of Jesus, our role is to baptize them into the, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I love what Dallas Willard said around that. We've turned it purely into dunking into water. We baptize in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is all right. It's not wrong. But actually, the bigger scenario is that Jesus was asking to baptize people into a Trinitarian understanding of life, that we baptized into a Trinitarian community, a Trinitarian God, that is, is, we have a Father and the Jesus work and the Holy Spirit's empowering us to understand that rather than just dunking. Dunking is the public expression, the outward expression of that life that God wants us to enter into. Um, And then this bit that we often forget is teaching people to obey. We Actually, the role of disciples, making disciples and what we do, is teaching people to obey. Not the pastor. Not the laws of the church. Not the creed. It's to obey Jesus. He said, teach them to obey, observe everything I have commanded to do. And at the heart of all of that is this idea of loving the ethic of the kingdom of God is love. When they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's actually at the very heart. Everything that Jesus did as a, a representative of kingdom life was rooted in love. Not love that I feel good about you. Oh, I so like Aaron. No, but a love that says, how do I make a decision to do him good? I have, an, I have a des- desire to act. Toward him in good, that's form of love, that, that Greek word agape. Um, and I will come back to what do we teach. It's, there's, there's many things. What are the things we meant to teach people to obey? And uh, someone once said, imagine if we had on the signboard out here on the church. In this church, we teach people to obey Jesus. That's, our, that's what we do. I wonder how many people would come. This is hard. It's like as as parents, we teach our kids a way of living. We teach them to obey us as parents. We teach them certain things. Imagine in the church, we teach people to obey Jesus. That's his command. It's not, it wasn't made up. That was his final command, his final commission to his disciples. Go into all the world, to all groups. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey me, Jesus. 
that's, that's the, kind of the first thing that, or one of the major things that God gave us to do. And we, so it's good for us to go and look at our lives and say, how are we doing? How are we doing with that? Remember, we do it through our own giftedness, our own lifestyle. We do it through our own personalities. We do it, it's not all the same. We've got the same message, but we, we communicate it in different ways because we're dealing with different people. And so we need to see that. But if we just left it like that, I think we'd miss something. We have to understand what comes before Jesus' commission, saying to them, go. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because of his death and resurrection, he's defeated the powers. And the Father has handed to Jesus all authority. So when we go to do this that he asks us to do, we go in the authority of the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. We don't go just like on our own. We don't have a backing. We go with the backing of heaven behind us. It's like, imagine if a police officer just in plain clothes, no badge, nothing, tries to stand in the middle of the road and stop a car for speeding. What's going to happen? Gudunk, gudunk. One dead cop, or one cop jumping out of the way, or one car swerving out of the way. But when a police officer stands in uniform with a badge and he's loaded to the hilt, and then he stands and does this, and lights are flashing, stop. Why? Because he has authority. He's got the weight of that police department, that city, or that county, or that federal... He has that behind him to exercise that which he's been commissioned to do. Is that right? Keep the peace, prevent crime, whatever. So when we go out, we go out with a badge loaded to the hilt. The full authority of God to do that which he asked us to do. And I'd hazard a guess, if I know even from my own life, is that I sometimes forget that. I'm not aware of it. I haven't soaked myself and immersed myself in what it means to live under the authority of God. I just take uh, clouts from anything that comes my way, the enemy, and he just bashes me. I don't exercise that authority, which we have. And it's not like, oh, I wonder if we have it. No, we actually have it. That's what Jesus said so. He gave it to us. I remember once someone in the church asked me to come and pray for his home and his family. Something was happening in their house. Spiritual thing. And I said, you, I'm happy to do that, but you do know that as the head of your home, you have authority. So I said, before I come, why don't you tonight stand at your front door and declare to the powers and principalities that they have no authority to come in here because you have all authority and they must stay back. And they've never had that problem ever again. We're talking eight, nine years. It's not because it's super duper, it's just because you exercise legal authority that is yours. And as we begin to interact with our world under the authority of God, we don't go bashing people, I don't come to air and say, I have the authority of God, you better submit and get saved and obey. We don't, it's not like that. It's we going out with an absolute confidence that the message that God has given us to live and to speak is true and where it's necessary, we give it and we leave it and let him act. Is that all right? Does that make sense? We have this authority. That's one side of this great commission. The other side is he said, and I will be with you. 
till the very end of the age. So when we go doing the thing that God has asked us to do, we go in His authority and He's with us. I don't know how much more we can ask for. The God of the universe is sending us out with full authority, giving us authority to go about the business, and He said, and I'll be with you. So when you stand up there in your full regalia, loaded to the hilt, say stop, He's standing there beside you, and they can see Him also in the spiritual realm, also saying stop. But that's one of our, that's our role as the church. Go make disciples. Is that right? Is that complicated? It's not complicated. It's very hard. It's not complicated. It's just hard because we've got so many internal things that we have to deal with. So many fears. So many hang-ups. What will people think? Will I feel rejected? Will my friends no longer want to talk to me? All sorts of things that go around. Now, I know we have to be wise. He sent them out as... Wise as serpents, gentle as doves. So we have to be wise. But to actually think that we can be kingdom living people in an evil world and not pick up flack, it's kind of silly. We are going to pick up flack. There are going to be people who don't want anything to do with us. Now they could not like us because we're being jerks. We don't want that. But if they don't like us because of the message we bring, that's another ballgame altogether, and we might just have to live with that. And it has consequences. So we have to grow into that as disciples. That's the first thing. Instruction was make disciples. The second one thing he said is that we should be witnesses. Go into or be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts of the earth. Wherever you go, we are called to be witnesses. Now, I think often when we think about being a witness, we think of the evangelist. We've got to stand on a soapbox and declare and knock people over the head and declare some sort of message. That, I don't think that's what this word means. This word means is that we go live a life that witnesses to the authority and the life that's in us in Jesus. And we live kingdom life wherever we are. So that means our lives are rich in love. Our lives are rich in being kind. Our lives are rich in being patient. The fruit of the Spirit, those things operating us, we witness to the life of God in us in the way that we interact and live in our world. At the same time, that is a witness to the resurrection power of God. The reason we have that is because Jesus raised from the dead and there were witnesses to that and they lived like that. So we, we, it's like we, we have to start living a certain way under the leadership of Jesus, that doesn't mean we all dress the same, do the same. That's not what it says. But we need to be led by God in the way that we live our lives in the world and asking Him to direct us and show us how to live so that when we find ourselves getting impatient, remembering, actually, one of the fruit of spirit life, kingdom life, is patience. Lord, help me. When I find myself getting angry, and, and despising someone who's doing something wrong, etc. We remember, no, we are kingdom people, living a kingdom life. Actually, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we are ambassadors of the king. We are ambassadors of this great ministry of reconciliation in our world. Therefore, I've got to stop and say, Lord, help me. When I find myself getting along in the face, life is such a drag, woe is me, which we do often, I do often. We remember, no, the God of the universe is living inside me and has commissioned me. Therefore, I can live in joy. It's the joy of the Lord is my strength. I mean, all those trite 
throwaway comments, the truth of them needs to impact us so that we live. People say that there's something different about you. Life is crazy, yet you look like you are content, like you look like you, there's love in you, you're kind, you're caring, all those things. That's a witness to kingdom life, a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus. Um, that's why he said, don't go and be a witness and love it. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is that part of the Godhead that's with us until the very end of the age. He's with us. And if you read the Gospels of John, like 14, 15, 16, 17, those chapters where Jesus is preparing his disciples for his going and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit is one just like me. Actually, in the Greek, it says, alos parakletos, one just like me who walks alongside to help. Para, alongside kletos, to help. The Holy Spirit is the one that walks, just like Jesus, who walks alongside us to help us to do the thing that he wants us to do. He doesn't leave us as orphans. That's what he promised. He said, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm going away, but I will send another. It'll be with you forever. The spirit of truth. He will guide you into all truth. He will teach you all things. He'll help you along your way. And so we have to learn to trust the Holy Spirit in those things. So, somehow we have to figure that out in our lives and as a community. So I love it that Joe went to Haiti. I love it that Shelley has now gone to the Philippines and doing something wonderful. And next week, we pray for you next Sunday. Hey? Tyler's on his way to Sri Lanka. We're missionaries, but I want us to be commissioned every day, every Sunday, every day. Into our world we go representing the King of Kings. Um, how's that sound? Does it sound like I've made up some new doctrine? Or does it look like it might, just might be what Jesus commanded us to do? Any questions? Anything you want to ask? Next week I'm going to pick up and say, what did it look like when they made disciples? What happened then? That's what we'll look at next week. Why we do what we do. Questions? That was good, crystal clear? It means you got it? No, everyone's got it? If we are community, we really mean that. We are a community of God's people. And that we learn to love the Jesus of the community, not just the community. Would you please, from time to time, ask someone to pray for you or for help because you're having a bad day and you're struggling and the, this, is ob- this is a little overwhelming in our world. Just say, can someone walk alongside me and help me and help me find the Holy Spirit, whatever. We need one another in these times. That's why we often read from Hebrews chapter 10. In this light of what God has done, we don't forsake the gathering of believers, not because... We, Gathering is all important. It's because we're here to encourage one another. We spur one another on, help one another, push one another, stand with one another, love one another, kick one another in the butt from time to time. Is that right?